Hi, everyone. Welcome and thank you for tuning into The Animal Files, the podcast where we expose the truth, science, and spirituality of pet care and provide you with the wisdom and tools you need to raise happy and healthy companion animals. My name is Victoria, an animal spirituality facilitator and integrative energy practitioner. And my name is Miranda, an animal health technologist and pet care safety expert. Let's dive in, shall we? Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome. Thanks for joining us on the Animal Files. We warned you last week. And I'm going to warn you again. We are going to go into the nitty gritty dark side of the animal trade industry. We did part one last week and we are going to head into part two. I am going to reel myself in. We're going to try to be very objective, very factual, just to give you the information you need so you can make better choices. We're going to go into exotic pets. We're going to go into the meat trade. We're going to go into pet food industry. We're going to shine a light on what you need to know before you go in to the pet stores and make the choices for your family and for your pet. So let's begin. What would you like to start with, Miranda? Hmm. <laughs> this is going to be a juicy one. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> well, one of the areas of the animal trade industry includes exotic pets and animal trade. And this includes pets that are sold, such as chinchillas, sugar gliders, reptiles, parrots, and other wild animals. And people love getting these kind of animals because they're, they're cute, they're interesting, they're unique, they're colorful, all of these different things. But the problem is, is that they're not domesticated and most people don't have the information, the proper information they need to properly care for them. And so these these types of animals often don't thrive in an enclosed environment when they're not able to live in their natural habitats. That's even if they make it from right. where they live originally to where they're going. Most of those animals don't make it because they're being smuggled. They're being smuggled in jeans and in suitcases and... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing. It's like this, this whole thing is a money making industry. It's what, what can we, what can we find to sell somebody else? How can we make a profit is what it's all about. And there's no respect or understanding or care for these, these animals. And they're not being, they're not being bred. These are like being ripped out of their homes mm -hmm. in the jungles, in the deserts, in the forests, the rainforest. They're being ripped out of their homes just so somebody can make a few thousand bucks. There's no thought in it for the animal whatsoever. Mm -hmm. It's frustrating. So what else? Before I go on a tangent, because <laughs> I could go... <laughs> <laughs> 
The, the second area of the trade industry, well, it's not really the second because we talked about some of it in our last episode, but uh, the second one of our part two. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> there is the food, clothing, and the entertainment trade industries and animals that are being used as tools. Oh, that tool part makes me a little nervous. Yes. <laughs> So we're not talking about working animals, you know, the ones that are service animals or they've got a job to do where they can actually thrive. Those animals are being taken care of. They're in a loving home. They're being given proper care and attention. The only ones that might be kind of more of a risk are ones that are like the police dogs because they can be in the line of fire. Mm -hmm. So there's pros and cons, I guess, to that. You know, a lot of us know about the food trade industry, but I think we don't tend to think about it very much. There's food that is necessary for providing nutrition to humans. But the quantities that are provided on a regular basis is way more than what is necessary. Oh, I totally agree with that. There's no reason to have an entire backside of a grocery store full of meat. I mean, half that meat probably gets tossed because it's been on the shelf too long. Mm -hmm. We consume way too much. Mm -hmm. I'm not an anti-meat person as far as eating is concerned, but I am an anti overabundance. I think we we expect to sell a heck of a lot more than we actually do and so much is wasted needlessly. Right. This is kind of a side note, but the fact is is that the organs are actually the most nutritious part of the animal. It provides the most nutrients that we need and yes, yet that's the part that is very minimally sold. Yeah. You get more of the muscle meat that's sold, which <laughs> is actually what scavengers usually like to eat, but it doesn't have as much nutritional value. So anyways, that's a, that's a side note, but. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's okay. A little bit of information here and there doesn't hurt. <laughs> but, you know, if you think back to way back when, like caveman days kind of thing, they utilized, or even probably even like just native traditions, they, they utilized the whole animal. They found a way to use pretty much every part of it in some form or mm -hmm. fashion. So they did not waste. And they also valued the animals. You know, they, they thanked them for giving up their life in order for us to be able to thrive. You know, so there was appreciation. It wasn't taken for granted. Because they knew that there could be times of starvation where they weren't going to be able to, to get that meat. Yeah. And it's an energetic exchange. Mm -hmm. You know, they were cared for enough and the animal, I believe that the animal understood its role. It was like the animal gifting themselves, if that makes sense. I know there's probably some people out there that are like, what, what, what? But <laughs> but I, I truly believe that when an animal is treated with kindness and compassion and with care and love, that there is that energetic exchange and the animal is giving us a gift. 
that is in turn for us giving them the gift of compassion. Mm -hmm. And so this again has gone beyond using what we need to thrive and turning it into a money-making industry again. (laughs) (laughs) Money-making. It destroys everything. (laughs) I know we need it, but come on, people. We don't need that much of it. (laughs) So we've got these fish farms and these livestock farms that largely the animals are not being treated with respect and kindness and proper care. So their living conditions are questionable. There's chances of potential diseases or they're getting injected with all kinds of who knows what. They're being branded, Mm -hmm. doing something that harms the animal and they aren't giving permission for that, but it's for our benefit again. And then there's transportation issues and the slaughterhouses. So a lot of these animals are living in cramped conditions, which causes high stress levels and increases their risk of getting ill. And transportation issues is, again, they're not being transported in a proper fashion. So their, their needs are not being met. Again, they could be cramped. They could be in an environment that could be too cold or too hot or maybe not moist enough or, you know, different things like that. And then, well, the slaughterhouses itself, it's like, I've been inside a chicken slaughterhouse. And let me tell you, it was disturbing. Very. It's a horror movie, right? Yes. Oh, I get rid of the visions. Go away, go away. Don't want to see it. (laughs) Don't want to see it. Let me just say that the people that I saw working there basically looked like they lost their soul. Oh, that's so sad for them. It's just a job. It's just like robots. Mm -hmm. That's so sad. I mean, energetically, my little, I guess, high horse here. Energetically, when you treat animals that way and when you slaughter them in that way and when you, the diseases and illnesses alone, when you mess with their energy, that energy transmits into the food. So any of the trauma that that animal feels or experiences energetically is in that food. You're, it, so the nutritionally is depleted. It doesn't have vibrancy. It doesn't have life. It's like those people in the factory that you said. It's just, it's just lifeless robotic meat that's not doing what it's supposed to do and not doing what it's intended to do because we've destroyed it so much by treating these animals so poorly. There's like this weird energy. I know for me, there are certain meats that my body said, no, energetically, we are just not a match because it's not, the animals were not taken care of. But if I have the same type of meat from say a small farm or humanely raised, farm raised or whatever, my body accepts it better. It's this weird, I know it's like woo woo world, but there is definitely, there's a difference in this meat that gets treated like this and the meat that gets treated like that. Definite difference there. I just wanted to throw that in there. <laughs> so <laughs> I have to get on my high horse every once in a while. So I'm going to get down now. 
I'm going to get down. (laughs) So what are some of the things that have evolved in these different trades, the food, the clothing, the entertainment trades, and the animals being as used as tools trade? Well, you've got your leather trade, your fur trade, your feather trade, which I didn't realize was a thing. The silk trade from silkworms. All of these trades involve confinement, branding, which often is done where the hide won't be damaged. So it's being done on like the legs or on the face. Oh, gosh. And you can imagine that's got to be a heck of a lot more painful than being done on just your basic muscle. I mean, it's going to be painful either way, but it's got to be even yeah. worse if it's being done on a on an area where it's really close to the bone and everything and not much muscle there. Sad. And then of course, the stress. These are all issues with these trades. And then you've got your circuses, your bullfighting, your rodeos, horse racing, greyhound re- racing, marine parks. Now, probably even your zoos. I mean, marine parks and zoos are created with a so-called intention of helping these animals to not become extinct or something like that. Yeah, it's some, but definitely some zoos do it better than others. Yes, but it's still, this is still a very challenging thing for animals because how do you fully recreate the wild environment that they normally naturally live in? You know, you can create maybe sort of the visual side of it, but they're not going to have the space that they're used to having. And they're not going to have the contact. Like in a marine park, you've got the killer whales. Well, they usually live in pods. In a marine park, they're often by themselves or maybe uh, yeah. just a couple. And I have heard that they do drug them so they perform better. Oh, I hadn't heard that. Or the people. Yeah, I, I think they're trying to stop that, but that's one of the claims of those that are anti-marine park. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I get it, but we've said this how many times? Animals are not entertainment for us. No. Stop it. <laughs> like, stop it. There is absolutely no benefit to animals in the circuses, the bullfighting, the rodeos, the horse racing, the greyhound racing. Like all of that is just pure entertainment for humans and they do not need to exist. Those are no, solely money making industries, plain and simple. I do like the idea that at least in the last 10 years, there have been some major circus organizations that have stopped using animals in their shows. Mm-hmm. I'm very grateful to that, especially when like the big giant ones decided we will no longer do that. Yes. And we've seen the resurgence of like, say the Cirque du Soleil, not sponsored, where we are entertaining ourselves mm-hmm. with or other people. Right. We are not using animals to do that. Mm-hmm. That makes me feel better. I, it makes me feel like we're at least going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to using animals used as tools, one of the big areas where they're used for that is in the military. Dogs are often fitted with bombs on their body and they go across towards the enemy lines. lines. And then the soldiers will detonate the bomb once the, the dog goes across. Oh, that's so sad. I'm so glad technology is getting better. They don't have to do that as much. Yeah, I I hope they're not doing that as much. Our animals are not weapons. 
they're not meant to be used as weapons. No. It's like if I, I don't support war in any way or form anyways, but if you're going to insist on trying to kill somebody, my opinion is to sacrifice keep, yourself. Keep the animals. <laughs> yeah. Keep the animals out of it. Do it yourself. <laughs> and we're not anti-military here. We do know they have a purpose. So it's like there's no reason for war to exist in the way it exists today. Something is different today. And there's so much money making involved in wars today. And that's what we're, that's what we're talking about. Not necessarily the military. The military, they do, they're great. They do great things. They do what they have to do. Some of them I'm sure feel bad, but it's just, this is not necessary. Don't use animals. Just don't, don't use animals. All right. I'm getting down again. (laughs) (laughs) So the third area we want to go into is the meat trade. Now this one, we're going to dive into a little bit more deeply. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So you may have seen in recent months, recent years about dogs, cats, and horses being used as meat sources for varying countries. And sometimes it's not even known. It's like secretly put Mm -hmm. in there. Now, I know that there's going to be some of you out there who'd be like, that is so horrible. Dogs, cats, and horses should never be eaten. And that's because from our Western perspective, we view these animals as companion animals. And we can't abide by the idea of them being eaten by somebody. But you have to consider, too, that varying countries have different views. And you get countries like India who view... I can't remember if it's the, the pigs or the cows that they view as sacred, or maybe it's both of them. Cows. Cows, okay. But there is another area, country, that also views pigs as sacred as well. And they refuse to eat them because of that view. But yet here in North America, we don't have an issue with eating cows and pigs. So there needs to be, I think, a little bit of understanding and an allowance The biggest focus that we need to pay attention to is how are the animals being treated? Not whether they're being eaten or not, but how are they being treated until they get to that point in their life? Yeah. Now, you may not know that the consumption of dog meat has been practiced throughout history. This is not a a new thing that has come about. It's slowly going away, but it's still there. And it's it's been around for a very long time. Mm -hmm. The biggest issue, though, is how it's happening. It's not generally being, it's generally not being done in an ethical way. No. Because these, again, it's another money-making industry. And so you've got these traders who are not legitimately getting animals. They're not breeding them for this purpose. They're not making sure that these animals are healthy. They're taking these dogs, because there's a cat. Yeah, we mentioned the cat as well. Cats are also being eaten. Dogs and cats are being taken off the street. They're being stolen from people's backyards. They're being bought from owners. There are some meat farms, but the other ways seem to be the more common way. A lot of the stray dogs and cats in these countries are diseased and very unhealthy. But yeah, they'll pack them all into a crate and put them on a truck and bring them to a market. Mm-hmm. It's, it's depressing. Mm-hmm. It's really depressing. Yeah. I told you we were going to get dark and deep here. So apologies if we're making anybody sick or if we're making you upset. That's 
kind of the point so you make a better choice <laughs> and you do what you can to help advocate for these animals mm -hmm. but we really just want we're just giving you the facts here i know i get on my soapboxes and i know i get on my high horse and i'm very opinionated and i'm not going to apologize for that but our goal is not to express opinions it's to give you all of the information so you can make your own opinion mm -hmm. just wanted to kind of be clear there i don't i'm not trying to force people to think like me mm -hmm. I, I tend to be really outspoken so just going to put that out there facts first people mm -hmm. facts first so just so you are aware because i know there's a lot of different views out there right now most of asia doesn't actually eat dogs and cats or horses actually but some of them do believe that they have health benefits and eat them for that purpose. I feel sorry to have to say this because I'm in Canada, but the horse trade industry is largely from Alberta and Manitoba. Mm. And what is happening is that these horses are being transported in small crates, three to four per crate, all the way to Asia. Oh. And most of these horses are not surviving. Well, no, because they're different. They, they're not I mean, even cows have a hard time. I mean, there's these, these are social creatures. They are not robots. They're very emotional, very highly sensitive creatures mm -hmm. that just don't work well in small, contained, stressful environments. Mm -hmm. Not that any animal does, but these larger animals, I mean, that's in a small crate. It's crazy. Well, and on top of that, they're not being provided with proper food and water. The environmental conditions are not healthy for them either. So, you know, they probably, I would guess they're probably selling these horses for a lot of money in order to make up for all the uh, horses that end up dying en route. Probably. I don't know. I have a hard time with all of this. Energetically, just it, I, it, it breaks my energetic heart that this actually happens. These animals have souls, period. I don't care what you think. I'm telling you from my experience, they are very, very solidly soul-based beings. And what? look at what we're doing to them. It's like, imagine doing that to a human. I mean, we've done that in the past and we're learning. Still got ways to go, but we're learning that that's not a thing to do. So hopefully we can do that with animals as well. We can change the perception and help let these animals live out the roles that they are meant to play, but treat them with kindness and compassion. Mm -hmm. So what about wet markets? Mm -hmm. Now, this is a term that I think a lot of us has recently become familiar with, but people, I think, largely have a misunderstanding about it. Yeah, I think so. So what is a wet market? It's a marketplace that sells fresh feet, fresh meat, not feet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure this helps feet too. <laughs> uh, fish, produce, and other perishable goods. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a farmer's market, just like alive. All the animals are there, and uh, yeah, yeah. It's like it's just their version of a farm farmer's right. market. Not all wet markets will sell live animals. But sometimes the term can refer to a live market where vendors slaughter animals upon customer purchase. So 
these animals would be in probably a cage of some sort up until that point. But most of them, I think, are treated properly. They try to maintain sanitary conditions and try to make sure that the animals are getting the food and water. I mean, obviously, the living conditions are still going to cause stress. That's but they're at least reasonably healthy when animal or when people go to purchase them. But what is not completely clear is these animals and fish, whether they're dead or alive, we don't know, or at least I wasn't able to find any definite information on whether they are obtained in ethical ways that minimize their stress and pain, and whether they are being provided with the care and respect that they deserve during the life that they have. I would think most likely not. Right. Most of the wet markets do not trade wild or exotic animals. But research has shown that those that do, there is a much higher risk of zoonotic diseases. And zoonotic diseases are ones that can be transferred from animals to human. And this this risk increases because the animals are stressed, they're being kept in crowded, unsanitary conditions, and they're being traded up the supply chain. And this is also an issue with the exotic pet trade and industry. Yeah. Know where your animals come from. We mentioned last week, we were talking about go to your local farms. If you're going to consume meat, know where your animal's coming from. Make friends with your local farm. Make friends Mm -hmm. at your local, I I guess, regional markets. I I think that's what they call them. I don't know. (laughs) But maybe do your due diligence to try to obtain most of your food through local channels. Not only energetically will you have better food to bring into your body. Right. But you are supporting smaller farms and smaller business owners that need to put food on their table as well. Mm -hmm. These aren't big time CEOs that have millions of dollars and they don't care what goes on below them. These are people who take pride in what they do and they need our support. And if you have the opportunity to go visit the farms and if they're doing it ethically, they shouldn't have any issues with you coming to visit the farm. But if you have the opportunity to go visit one directly and you can see how the living conditions are for the animals, what the process is for when they go, what they go through. I went to one farm and they showed how they were transitioning from their sort of the typical slaughter method. I, I can't say whether it's kinder than the other way, but I, spo- I guess it's supposed to be quite quick. You know, they gave, gave us a lot of information on the whole, whole way of how they do things. Information is power. Mm-hmm. If you are going to feed your family, know where that food comes from. Know the quality that you're giving to your family. Because we are running into a deficit of nutrition, at least in the Western world, because so many people are trying to make a lot of money with treating these animals improperly. And let's just pump out as much as we can and see if we can make more money. And who cares if we waste this food? So know what you're getting. Do your research. Make sure that you can make the best choices. Are you ready to hear the dirty, gritty 
side of the pet food industry. I know I'm raring to go. <laughs> I'm putting the warning again. Hang on to your hats. This is going to be a roller coaster. Again, we're just giving you the information so you can make the best choices for your animal. That's all we're here to do. We're here to expose the truth and the science and the spirituality of pet care. That is what the Animal Files does best. So let's dive in to the pet food industry. Well, let's give you a little bit of history first on how the pet food industry started. Okay, good. I like history. <laughs> <laughs> Originally, it was created from the leftover re remains of the human food process industry. So I would say that it was probably even before that, because even when dogs used to live not with us specifically, but it was kind of like this mutual beneficial relationship um, in the very, very early stages. Mm -hmm. It probably became because humans ate what they wanted to eat and then they would throw out what it was they didn't want and the dogs would go for that. And that was part, uh, largely why it was a beneficial relationship because then they didn't have to go and hunt for their food. Or scavenge for it. Yeah, and I do want to add a little bit of a footnote that dogs actually chose to be human companions way back. They actually came together in a partnership. Mm -hmm. So we did never forced dogs to live with us. That was a choice for the dog. Mm -hmm. What about a little footnote there to let you know that dogs do have free will and so do cats. All animals have right. free will. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the reasons why these leftover remains were given to the pets was because the humans wanted to avoid wasting the remains or having to throw them in the garbage. So there's pros and cons to this. It's good on one hand because you're not having the stuff being thrown in the landfill. Although if it's natural food, it should break down pretty easily, but... It can still harbor disease. Right. And if you get enough of an accumulation of it, it could be sitting there for long periods and attracting flies and other critters and stuff like that, that could be... Larger wild animals. Yeah. So it could contribute to safety issues. It could contribute to, to illnesses, airborne illnesses and whatnot that could be transported. So having the dogs and the cats eating this was beneficial for that reason. But the whole idea of the food process industry is that, especially as it's evolved, there's been a lot of, I'm just going to say garbage added to the foods. It's no longer uh... just a little bit, just a little bit of garbage added to it. <laughs> It's no longer 100% natural. And so when we're feeding those leftovers to dogs and cats, they're also getting that garbage. They're no longer going out in the wild and balancing what they need with stuff in the wild with what they're getting from us. Mm -hmm. They're relying solely on us for their nutrition. 
And so many of these foods out there are just not balanced properly for them and just include so much stuff that's just not good for them. Yeah. Little footnote. It's really not good for us either. Mm-hmm. It's been, it's been destroyed in many ways for us and it trickles down to them. So it's even worse for them. Mm-hmm. So why does this industry exist? Well, as consumers, we have become very impatient. We have become very desirous of convenience. We want things easy. We want things simple. Probably other words in there that aren't coming to me right now. Cheap. Yeah, that too. Yep. There's a lot of people out there that not only can't afford good quality food for their family and their animals, but they don't have the options because of maybe their location and the pricing, you know, whether they're at a lower socioeconomical level, they just, they can't afford it. So they have to go with the cheaper brands and the cheaper brands tend to have more of more and less, (laughs) more garbage and less nutrition. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately this chase for convenience and low cost and easy accessibility to get this food for our pets, it's resulted in continuous repeat exposure to potentially harmful ingredients. And you might be wondering why that would be, but we'll yeah, what are you talking we continue about? on. What, 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 <laughs> what, what are these ingredients that we need to tell the people? <laughs> well, as we get further in here, we'll go into that a little bit more. <laughs> foreshadow, foreshadow. <laughs> so... How many of you actually read everything that is on the package that you buy? Do you just read the front that says well-balanced, extremely healthy, or whatever different advertising phrases and words that they throw on there? Yeah, and the the very popular human grade, which doesn't really mean much, but we'll get there. (laughs) (laughs) Do any of you actually read the ingredients and do you actually know what you're reading when you read the ingredients? Because this is one of the tricks that the industry likes to use. They won't call things what it actually is. They will try to slide it under the rug in order to be accepted by the FDA. That they do. So one of the words or one of the phrases that you need to be aware of is feed grade. Because what does feed grade even mean? Do you know what it means? Who knows? It's so just clouded in mystery. (laughs) (laughs) Feed grade. (laughs) (laughs) So actually what feed grade means is that the food contains meats that are expired, diseased, or contaminated with drugs. Told you it's going to get dark. (laughs) (laughs) And we're not making this up. This is the actual truth. Do your research, people. This is the actual truth. We're just bringing you what we found. Mm -hmm. So consider that this could be what you're feeding your animals. In all likelihood, it's what it is what you're feeding your animals. And then you have to consider why there's so many illnesses as well in our animals. Yep. And we'll get into that a little bit more here, too. So our laws can be so, I don't know what the best word is to use, skewed, 
uh, skewed all over the place, very inconsistent, different companies interpret it in different ways. Mm -hmm. So first we've got the FDA law that does not allow poisonous, unsanitary, or deleterious ingredients, which basically is ingredients that shouldn't be used, <laughs> mm -hmm. or animals that have died otherwise than by slaughter. These are not allowed into human or pet foods. However. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like that word, however. All right, give it to us. Then we had the compliance policy guides for the FDNC Act, Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act. They overrode that above law with respect to the pet food, or at least they did. They had said that the pet food canning industry utilizes undercomposed animal and marine tissues from various sources. These include products of the rendering in industry, such as various meat, poultry, and bone meals, meat scraps and offal from packing house waste, freshly boned out animals, and occasionally meat from animals that may have died otherwise than by slaughter. And this could include animals that were put to sleep using the euthanasia drug. Ugh, makes my stomach turn. <laughs> now, it did say when I did dig a little bit deeper, it did say that this guide was withdrawn for canned pet food on April 30th, 2019. Now, this is only saying the canned food. So that doesn't mean that the dry food is, is the same. No, is far from the same. We'll get to that, but yeah. <laughs> Just because one law says something can be very easy for it to be overridden by some other policy that exists somewhere else. It basically boils down to you really have to, to know what the ingredients are in the food that you're feeding yourselves and your pets. Understand what it actually is. Are they trying to hide something with the term that they're using? And is this okay for your animals? I would add research the company too. See what the company's mm. history of practice is and see if they followed the laws, followed the regulations and the requirements, and if that's a consistent thing. Because some companies, we're looking pretty for you now, but a year ago, this is what we did. Check the recalls. Right. You know, because there are some really expensive, supposedly, quote unquote, really good food out there that had to be recalled because of the euthanasia drug. Mm -hmm. So they were not abiding by the regulations. Right. Research, research, research. And you should be able to ask these companies for information on their ingredients and details and everything like that. And they should be open to giving it to you. If they're trying to hide anything and not being open to having a conversation with you. Take your money elsewhere. Yeah, beware. Ugh, so it's getting rough. It's getting rough. <laughs> so let's break this down a little bit more. What are some of the things that some of the people within the industry have said? So we have a bit of information from a few vets and some other experts in the industry. 
this is what they have said based on their own research and information. Okay. So Dr. Edward Group, he says that most of the pet food comes from rendering plants that often use spoiled meats, roadkill, and moldy putrefied fats. I wouldn't want to eat that. (laughs) No, no. With that information, I've known about that information for so many years, and it has turned me off from so many food companies that I get a list of foods that I would never buy. Just because a food is higher priced or considered higher end, quote unquote, does not make it a better food. No. It's not about how much you're paying for the food. It's about really understanding what the ingredients are. You need to know that the ingredients are safe and healthy, but you also need to know whether or not the ingredients are creating a balanced, nutritious diet for your pet. So Andrea, she was a former food buyer sourcing manager for a multinational pet food company. And she was required to identify sources of supply for specialty ingredients. And according to her, she says that essentially these sources included leftover carcasses and scraps of livestock, which were sent to a rendering plant, put in a huge grinder to create a powder form, which then was created into kibble. Mm -hmm. (laughs) When they're getting the leftovers and the scraps they're not getting nutrition. That's not what the animals would eat in the wild. Again, what they would focus on the most would be the organs because that is where the most nutrition is. And they're not generally not getting that in their, in the the pet foods that are created for them. I'm not even sure if the raw food includes that or not. I'd have to do more research on that. Mm -hmm. Then we have Dr. Judy Morgan. She states that the rendering process may kill the bacteria that forms in spoiled, rotting, diseased meats, but it doesn't kill the toxins or the endotoxins that are released by the bacteria during the decaying process. Mm. So <laughs> you can get, you might hear the argument that's saying, oh, well, it's, it's processed at such a high heat that it's going to kill anything that grows. But that also comes with the problem because when you cook meats at super high temperatures, you molecularly change the meat And you create carcinogens in the food just by cooking it at that level. It's not that they were there before and then you're cooking it to high temperatures and it comes out. It's the actual act of cooking at those high temperatures changes the molecular structure of the food and actually creates toxicity just by cooking. Plus high temperatures will kill any nutrients that may still exist in the meat. Oh, yeah. Oh, I thought that was a given, but probably not. (laughs) Probably people don't realize that when you cook your food, you destroy the nutrition. Mm -hmm. So we mentioned, we kind of talked about this before, just mentioned it briefly, but this Dr. Judy Morgan, she states that the FDA comes up with different terms to hide what the actual ingredients are in food. I'm not sure if it's the FDA that comes up with terms. I think it's the companies that come up with terms in order for the FDA to accept it. That makes sense. One example is she says one ingredient that could be given is hydrolyzed poultry protein isolate. Oh, sounds fancy. Right. (laughs) But it ain't. (laughs) (laughs) So what actually is it? 
just to give you a little extra information on that, this is used in foods that are supposed to be hypoallergenic. Okay. So people can see this and maybe think that, oh, this must be something that they did to the food to, to make it so that it's not going to cause an allergic reaction. But what it actually means is you're getting hydrolyzed chicken feathers. <laughs> now, why would an animal need to eat chicken feathers? There's I, absolutely no nutrition in that. No, there's all. not. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then there's things that are added to these foods. So the same veterinarian, she says that foods that have fish meal in it could be preserved with ethoxyquin, which is a proven cancer-causing preservative. And that's now the this scary part. This is the scary part. <laughs> oh, like when I when I saw your research, I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, I knew that people put preservatives in, and a lot of these preservatives are just not good. But this part, oh, all right, just tell the people. Tell the people. <laughs> So when fish are caught on the boat, a lot of these companies, upon catching the fish, will add this ethoxyquin to it. Now, according to the law, because it wasn't actually done in the processing company, they don't have to include that as an ingredient. So you don't even know if the food you're feeding contains that or not. Yuck, yuck, yuck. So... Reading ingredient lists, although highly, highly important, is not always going to ensure that you're getting the best food. So this is where the extra research comes in Mm -hmm. and know the ingredients. If something says fish meal, go search it, find out what it is. If it says hydrolyzed poultry protein isolate, if you forget, go look it up. Or hydrolyzed anything. (laughs) Yes, hydrolyzed anything is just not good. Yeah, so- You must do your due diligence because some of these things are not required to be put on the labels because of loopholes. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially what that is, the loophole. Oh, it's done on the boat, so we don't have to add it. Mm -hmm. Makes me shiver. Now, this is not going to be a complete list, (laughs) but these are some of the other ingredients to be aware of that have caused concern in animals. Other ingredients such as melamine have been noted to cause kidney disease in animals. And foods that had contained that had been recalled. Okay. Now, I don't know if that, if there are still companies that are trying to, to add that under some other hidden name. It's probably used as a filler. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I read that, I was like, melamine? That's, that's that wood substance that you make shells out of. I was like, what, (laughs) what? So it's probably used as a filler, Mm -hmm. a cheap filler to kind of bulk up the food. Mm -hmm. So again, if there's an ingredient that you can't say with 100% certainty, you know what it is. Research it. Research it. Another one is BHA. This is linked to tumors and liver failure. And that's considered a preservative, isn't it? I think so, yes. Propylene glycol has also been added to foods. Propylene glycol, isn't that what's in antifreeze? I don't know if I have my information correct, but that reminds me of antifreeze. It's a viscous, colorless liquid, which is nearly odorless, possesses a faintly sweet taste. So I think you might be right. Sounds like antifreeze. (laughs) Oh, okay. And then you've got high levels of sugars and salts and dyes. Just like for humans, too much sugar and too much salt is not good. No. Dyes are usually always chemical dyes. 
and they're only and they're for... always for us yes. right the animals can't even see that color <sighs> okay reel myself in <laughs> these have all been added to pet foods currently or in the past and they're not necessarily identified on the label and when we talk about high levels of sugar that can make up to 40 to 60 percent of the whole total of the ingredients in a package of food yeah picture that you get a five pound bag or six pound bag of cat food or dog food now take out all of that food and fill it halfway up with sugar and that's what you're feeding your animal and you wonder why your dog and cats end up with diabetes at like 12 or 13 years old mm -hmm. and why they're obese and why they have cancer and why they have all of these health issues and i'm a culprit because my cats love kibble and i try to feed it sparingly but that's 50 percent sugar and i buy really good quality i've looked at the labels i've done everything i've done my research i've done my due diligence but i still know that that bag has a lot of sugar in it because it's kibble mm -hmm. just the fact that it is kibble gives it that much sugar and this is where another hidden agenda comes in <laughs> yeah, yeah because <laughs> sugar is not always labeled as sugar you might have sugar listed as as sugar as maybe maybe the fourth or fifth ingredient or maybe higher or something but a lot of the sugar comes from the simple carbs that are added into the foods so all that potato starch rice starch all of the stuff they put in it that starchy stuff to actually make the kibble phew, goes right to sugar in the body mm -hmm. and we also mentioned this but this will just be a reiteration on it dr peter debias he states that canines are being fed ingredients and items that they would never eat in nature they would normally eat meat mostly the organs, which are mineral-rich, bones, and some plant material. Muscle meat is considered scavenger meat because it has less nutritional value. But it's cheaper for the companies. Mm -hmm. All that money always comes down to money. Mm -hmm. That's why it's part of the animal trade industry. Right. Always comes down to money. How can we make the most money off of your pet? Mm -hmm. Now, there's probably smaller companies out there who are focus more on trying to provide better quality foods. But of course, because they're smaller, they're going to be more expensive. Yeah, their overhead's a lot higher. Yeah. It's usually these multinational large companies that don't really care very much about the quality. They care more about their profit. Yeah, or they're so big that even if they do care, they can't monitor everything because they've just gotten too big. There could be that too, yes. Because I'm sure there's some companies out there that have got into the pet food industry with the best intentions. Mm -hmm. And they just got too big, too fast. And it's just really hard to monitor and regulate a company once they get that big. Because mm -hmm. you have to, you know, all the managers, they're running their own plants. They're doing what they want to do. It's all capitalism. Mm -hmm. I know we've talked about that and I probably sound like I'm anti-capitalist. I'm not just going to put that out there. I'm just against using animals as throwaways to make that money. Mm -hmm. So the last thing to consider is that 
a lot of the pet foods out there are not created with the needs of the animal in mind. They're not species specific. Well, they're kind of species specific to some extent, but not in terms of the nutritional value that they would get in the wild. And they're not age specific. I mean, I've seen cat food where it says good for all life stages. You can't feed a food that's good for all life stages. It just doesn't exist. Yep. Different stages need different things. I don't know. It goes back to the, we choose to bring these animals into our home. And that right there is you signing a contract that you are going to do your best to give them the best care and compassion that they deserve. You sign the contract, quote unquote, you sign the contract. Don't let these big giant companies who are only in it for the dollar tell you what to feed your animal. We've given you so much information today. We've showed you the dark underbelly of what we consider the animal trade in general. It's now up to you. How much do you love your animal? How much are you willing to sacrifice? How much are you willing? How much time are you willing to sacrifice to make sure that you make the best choices for you? I know that not everybody has the money to get really expensive food. I get it. I get it. I know animals are very finicky. Some animals won't eat wet food. Some animals won't eat raw food. Some animals will only eat kibble. You got to work with what you got, but you can still make choices within the bracket that you need to play in. Mm -hmm. And that is what we are trying to help you do. That's my final thought. Do you have a final thought before we close for the day? Well, I just want to say for choosing foods, it really boils down to, again, just understanding what is actually in the food you're getting. Research anything you don't understand, ask questions, talk to the companies. Also, really understand what it is your animal needs. Cats have very specific nutritional needs, which are not being met currently by most, most of the foods. So if you want to try to reduce the amount of illnesses that our animals are developing, kidney disease, liver disease, diabetes, obesity, these are all very, very, very common, even cancer. These are all very common illnesses that are developing the animals. And you have to wonder, why is it so common? That's a good question. Can we prevent it? Yeah, some of these may be natural occurrences, but even in humans, these are the same illnesses that we do what we can to prevent. So let's do that the same for our animals. Mm -hmm. Let's try to prevent them. If they get them, then at least they have a better head start in trying to deal with them and manage them on their own if we take the upper hand and we do what we can to help prevent them. I guess I have a second thought. But <laughs> so I hope we didn't scare you too much. And I know you guys, some of you guys out there probably have like nauseated stomachs right now because it is kind of gritty, yucky, but it's out there. It's the truth. And that's all we can do is share with you the truth. So take what you want, leave what you don't, just do right by your animal. And on that note, we will see you. Have a great week, everybody. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to rate, review, and recommend the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want some more great info, be sure to check out www.theanimalfilespodcast.com.